Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, December the 20th, 2022. It is currently 6.25 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where... I've been having a little bit of a pity party. Yes, I've, I've been, I've been a little bit frustrated. You, you see, the last live broadcast we did, we we continued to look at those things that hinder the supposed presence of God, the presence of Christ, and that's and we were addressing an article that was posted at the Christian Post, and we've been working on that series, practicing the presence of God, hindering the presence of Christ. We've been talking about all of the issues related to that concept about the presence of God or the presence of Christ. And it's one of those situations where by the time I finished the episode, I once again felt like, did I, lo- did I lose the narrative? Did I, did I lose the plot? Did I take this in a, a negative direction? So I just kind of walked around having a little bit of a pity party going, man, that didn't really go very well. That was not a great broadcast. Ah, so then, so then I start having these, these thoughts, you know what, maybe that's it. Just, just give up for the day. Let's just forget it. And then, and then I, I, I go downstairs. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But everything I get ready to do, all I can keep thinking is get back up there, get behind that microphone. Let's have a good broadcast. Come on. You can do it. Come on, get up there. Let's have a good broadcast. You, you can do it, right? Because I, I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm not smart enough to to say, you know what, it, th- it, your your broadcasts haven't been great today, so just give up while you're ahead. I'm always like, nope, they've been bad. I'm gonna keep going, and I'll do even. I'll, I'm just gonna keep going with the idea that I'm going to do one better. But in many cases, they just get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So there's a high probability based off the trajectory of, I, I'm, I'm making fun of myself because I had a podcast episode where I could not say the word trajectory. All right. But based off the trajectory of my day, everything tells me this is going to be a really, really, really bad uh, episode. But you know what? If you don't risk anything, you don't gain anything. So I'm going to risk it. And I, and I know that I'm, I'm probably made a huge mistake, but here's what happened. I decided to walk up the stairs. I closed the door behind me and I walked up here to my studio and I was thinking, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I was just like, you know, let's see, I looked over, I looked around. I've got I see I've got a newsletter from a Christian radio station that's got some interesting articles in it. I'm like, I could talk about that. Um, I've got, I got Bibles, I got devotional guides, I got books, um, I've got theology books, and then I have just in all these things saved in my notes on my iPad. And then I'm like, well, there's all these series we need to catch up on or we need to finish. And I was just like, what do I do? What do I do? I've got to pick the, I gotta pick the right subject. And in and in my mind. You know, you know what's the right way to do. It. You do the one that you're most comfortable with. You do you you talk about that which you're most comfortable with. You're best prepared so that you can have a great episode. So that when you walk back down the stairs, you can be like, "See, two bad episodes, but that third one was a home run." Right? Everything says that's what you do, but for me, 
I, I, it's like I self-sabotage myself. I, instead of going with what I, I, I'm best prepared to cover, instead of going with what I'm most, you know, ready to talk about, I'm sitting here and all of a sudden I get an email. And an email said, this is the subject line. Two emerging idols facing the modern church. Two emerging idols facing the modern church. Okay, now, what? Now, you know, logically, right? Anyone who's reasonable, what would you do? You would have said, okay, let me read this email. Let me think it through. Let me grab a, a notebook. Let me outline my intro. Let me out, outline maybe two or three thoughts. How do I want to conclude the program? And I would have mapped out a podcast episode. But of course, I didn't do any of that. You know what I decided to do? I'm just going to grab the email. I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to go live with no prep, nothing. I don't have anything outlined. I have no notes and I'm just going to go live and we're going to talk about it. Now, in one way, it that fits the, the kind of the vibe for this podcast. It's supposed to be raw. It's supposed to be real. It's supposed to be organic. It's not supposed to be overly produced. It's not supposed to be performance art. It's a real person, a sinner who has made a million mistakes in my Christian life, sitting in front of a microphone saying, hey guys, I'm trying to figure this out with the rest of you. Hey, do you want to listen? Do you want to talk about theology, doctrine, church history, Bible study? Let's do it together, right? That That's kind of the vibe I try to create. So it fits the vibe, but it's not smart considering what I planned to do was come up here and have a good podcast episode to make up for my poor podcast episodes, right? Because the last one I thought was complete trash. I thought it was garbage. So what do I do? I set myself up now for absolute <laughs> complete failure. So yeah, I'm I'm not very smart. See, aren't you glad you've chosen to listen to a podcast where the podcast host is probably 99% dumber than anyone else, okay? But but that's okay, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. I always say, I may be 99% dumber than all people on the earth, but if you listen to me, I know my audience is 99% smarter than the audience of all the other podcasts. How does that work? How do, why do smart people listen to such a dumb person? I don't know. It, it Clearly, there's probably some mathematical formula out there that will make that work, but that's the reality. So I hope you will be patient with me, and hopefully we can accomplish something. Now, why did that email spark me just saying, I'm going to turn on a microphone? Because I, 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 I don't know about you. I am fascinated, first, with church history, Right. And I love church history because when you go back in church history, it's always interesting to see, okay, that's where that movement started. Oh, look what emerged there. Oh, that was the response to that. Like you've got the Reformation, you've got the counter-Reformation, right? You've got maybe the seeker-sensitive, and then you have the emerging church. You have all of these different things. You have kind of the evangelicals and kind of a more modernist approach to the church. And you almost have a, then you have the fundamentalist fighting against the evangelicals. Two very divergent ways of approaching Christianity. I love following the movements in the, where, okay, this group emerges here and then this happens and this happens. I, I love reading church history and trying to map that out. Going, okay, here, Okay, then that's what, well, that was a response to that. Well, that was a response to that. Well, that's interesting because sometimes what you see is you'll see an error emerge in the church and then you'll see the response to that error 
being an error in and of itself. So you have two errors that are completely opposed to one another. They're in opposition to one another, but they both go to extremes. And sometimes those that are trying to be in the middle and trying to be biblical, they don't really get that. They don't get the press. They don't get talked about in church history. They get ignored. I think that's fascinating. So, but that's, that's my fascinating with church history. You say, well, what does that have to do with this email? Because what I like to do, I like to look in the past and figure all of that out. But what I really love to do is look at the present and try to figure out where the church is headed and looking for little things. Oh, look at that. Look at that. And I, I try to listen to sermons and, and read Christian books and just keep up. And the more sermons you listen, I, 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 to me, I think it's fascinating. Just on, you know, just any given day or week or month, just grab sermons from every most random churches. Do not just start grabbing sermons from any source you can find and just listen and listen. And then sometimes just try to go, okay, I listen to say 30 sermons that was preached last Sunday. And sometimes you'll sit back and go, well, that's interesting. I see kind of a, and sometimes you'll see a trend. You'll see an idea emerging. You'll see certain buzzwords that are starting to be used, right? Community, uh, let's do mission together. Let's do community. You'll start, and sometimes a little, and you're like, why is everyone using the same term, terminology? Why is everyone using the same phrase? And you're like, something has influenced the church. Where is it going? So when I get an email that says two emerging idols facing the modern church, that this means someone has sent me an email saying, hey, hey, guys, guys, look, these two idols, this is what the church is facing. So what are these two emerging idols? I don't know. I haven't read the article. I haven't read the email. I don't know. What do you think? So if I was to say right now, grab a piece of paper and write down, you. what are the two emerging idols that you think is currently facing the modern church? What would two things would you write down? And I don't know. I don't know what I would write down at this moment. And I'm trying to think of all the sermons I've listened to. Like what, it, I, I, you know, where is the church going in 2023? Is the church headed in a direction where these two emerging idols are going to be an issue? I don't know. Let's dive into the email for the next, I don't know how long, and let's see where this goes, all right? All right, this comes to us from the Gospel Coalition. Oh, wait, we just reviewed it, a podcast episode from them. And this was sent to me December the 20th at 2.05 p.m., but I did not see it or look at it or, or get the notification. I don't remember exactly how I stumbled upon it, but it was when I was up here looking at things and all of a sudden realized, oh, I've got some emails, and well, I ended up stumbling upon this one, all right? So here we go. Are you ready? This August, this is how the email begins, and this is not me speaking. This is the email. This August, I had lunch with Andrew Kelly, have no idea who that person is, a local church pastor who lives near me in Southern California. As often as I often do when I meet with pastors, I asked Kelly what trends or discipleship challenges he was noticing in his pastoral ministry. Now, I see, I love that stuff. What trends? What are you noticing? Now, for me, I just listen to sermons. I just listen to sermons and go, oh, what is that? Wait, wait, what are they talking about? What, what is going on there? That's interesting, right? And again, sometimes you notice this. So he, in this particular case, he asked pastors, hey, what trends 
or discipleship challenges he was noticing in his pastoral ministry. If you were, this is just, I don't know how much you pay attention to what's going on in in the church, uh, but if you do pay attention, what do you think is the trends that emerged within the church in 2022? What do you think? I don't know if I have a a good grasp on it. I I think we've, we've been watching the church in a post-COVID, and I say post-COVID, the church for the most part has moved on past COVID, has moved on past it. All of the controversy, all I think the church for the most part has moved on past it. Those who are meeting to make a point, they've moved on. That's over. That's old news. Those who are who felt that they needed to take certain precautions, they've. I think everyone's moved on past it, and we're dealing with the long term consequences of it, right? Whatever those long term consequences are, I think. I think there's a lot to that. There's a lot we could say, but I would. Be, I, I, again, I always love to get your feedback. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo. Uh, yahoo.com. I would love to get your thoughts on where you think are the, the the trends that emerged within the church. What what trends did what what happened in your church in 2022? Any major change of direction? Any new concepts entering in? So he asked this pastor, uh, "What trends or discipleship challenges he was noticing in his pastoral ministry?" His answer launched us into a fascinating conversation about, and I quote. Hustle culture. Joe Rogan, Ryan Holiday. Well, that's interesting. That that's that's real interesting. And uh, hang on, let me let me see here. I'm going to look at something really quick. I'm going to look at something. I'm going to look at. Just give me a second. I'm going to look at something. Uh Okay, that's a, that's an interesting philosophy. Interesting philosophy. Do I go into this philosophy or do I mention? It? So I'm 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 debating with myself, do I mention this or not? Okay. Uh, let's do you know this philosophy? It would be interesting to know. Do you know this philosophy? Stoicism. Stoicism. If I could play it again. Stoicism. Stoicism. Do you, are, are you familiar with that philosophy? Uh, the endurance of pain or hardship without the display of feelings and without complaint? Hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to read the whole thing again. The reason I looked up Stoicism, the reason I looked it up is because I was like... My, 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 basically I forgot that I was doing a live broadcast, but I, 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 <laughs> I'm joking. When I look, when I saw them mention, I, I, my, my immediately thought was, does, is, stoic, is stoicism showing up in the church? Is there some trend towards stoicism in the church? I don't know. Okay. So let's go back and read. Let's go back and read here. And again, stoicism is the endurance of pain or hardship without the display of feelings and without complaint. In ancient Greek, it's it's an ancient Greek school of philosophy, right? The school taught that virtue, the highest good, is based on knowledge. The wise live in harmony with the divine reason uh, that governs nature and are indifferent 
uh, to fortune and to pleasures and pain. So in other words, you're kind of indifference to it all. Stoicism, you're, you, you, you endure life without much feeling or complaint. That's, is that in the church? That, okay, so just seeing the word stoicism made me just immediately just, I got I to gotta go see where they're going to go with this. But that's, okay, so let's read this again. So he has, he has lunch with this pastor. I, I say I'm, I'm fascinated. I almost want to stop and just start trying to delve into how stoicism has made its way into the church. Has it? I, I don't know. You, you can tell me what you think, but let's read all of this again. So he asked his pastor what trends or discipleship uh, challenges was he noticing in pastoral ministry. His answer Launch, uh, launched us into a fascinating co- uh, conversation about hustle culture, Joe Rogan, Ryan Holiday, modern stoicism, and how it all was influencing his congregation, particularly the men. And I'm like, okay. Now, hu- hustle culture, I may need to get a little better definition of what that is. Joe Rogan, we know him, like, like the number one podcaster in the world. Ryan Holiday, why do I not know who Ryan Holiday is? Do you know who Ryan Holiday is? Let me look up Ryan Holiday because I'm gonna. I don't know Ryan Holiday. Am I supposed to know Ryan Holiday? Am I looking like I'm out of? He's an American author. Who is Ryan Holiday? Ryan Holiday is an American author, modern stoic. Oh, so here's stoicism. Okay, now, now, now it's all starting to come together. Okay, this is interesting. He's he's uh, so he's an American author and a modern stoic. That's the Daily Stoic is one of the books he wrote. The obstacle is the way. Ego is the enemy. Discipline is destiny. He wrote in 2022. Hmm, this is interesting. All right, let's go back. Do you think these things are impacting the men of your church? Okay, so let's go through these again. So we asked this pastor, hey, what's happening in your church? What difficulties? What trends are you seeing? And this launched into a conversation about hustle culture, Joe Rogan, Ryan Holiday, and modern stoicism, and how it was influencing his his congregation, particularly the men. Now, I, I would think that Joe Rogan Definitely has more men listeners than women, I would think. I think I, I don't think that would be wrong to say. I think more men would listen to Joe Rogan than women. I think so. Ryan Holiday, I, I didn't even, I, I, I'm sorry, I missed this. I need to start asking men how many men have read Ryan Holiday books and how many Christian men. And it would be fascinating. I wonder how many Christian men listen to Joe Rogan. That That's that would be fascinating. Like if I was to say, hey, what difficulties are you facing in ministry? I don't know if Joe Rogan would even make a list of 9,000. Like I, I, when I say Joe Rogan is an issue, do you think Joe Rogan is influ- influential to the, to the minds of Christian men? This is a fascinating, and stoicism, a modern stoic, Ryan Holiday, is he influencing Christian men? Do you think stoicism as a philosophy is? A couple of months later, I worked with Kelly and another pastor, Corey Brock, on an article they co-authored for TGC exploring this topic, 
how comfort culture and hustle ideology fill the meaning gap. Now, this... Uh, we definitely got to look at the article. We definitely got to look at the article. But I, I am fascinating by the things that are listed here. I mean, this is from a Christian ministry. And they're like, hey, here's what's facing the men in the church. Hustle culture, Joe Rogan, Ryan Holiday, and modern stoicism. Uh, we, we've got to explore this. And then they wrote an article, how comfort culture... And hustle ideology fill the meaning gap. Now they go to promote themselves. This article is a great example of why we do what we do at, to, at the Gospel Coalition and how we do what we do. First, the why. At the Gospel Coalition, we seek to apply timeless gospel truth to timely cultural issues and hopes of serving the church. In this article, Kelly and Brock skillfully analyze a growing cultural trend in a way that doesn't condemn adherence, but with cautions but, but which cautions Christians to recognize a potential problem. It's balanced, careful look at a relevant topic, but in, both insightful and, particu and particular for Christians in a secular age, right? So in other words, they go in basically to brag about, hey, look, look at the stuff we produce. It's worth it. So why don't you, and then at the end, basically support us, right? So, okay, so. If you want more, you know, basically, you know, we're going to do this. This is the great things that we do. Okay, great. I got no problem them promoting themselves. But let's go to the article. Let's go to the article. The article was published on December the 14th, 2022. And it says how comfort culture, hustle ideology fill the meaning gap. Underneath it is two images that look like they were drawn with like, like with a pencil. They're very well done. On, on the left-hand side, there's a man sitting on a couch with a remote control, obviously looking, watching television. Uh, that's on the left. On the right is a man, uh, obviously he's working out. He's, I, I think maybe he's inside a gym or he's outside somewhere and he's working out. He's, he's, he's on the ground doing, I don't know, some kind of workout. He's, 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 he's being physically active. He's, he's working out. All right, so that... All right now, Joe Rogan, Ryan Holiday, modern stoicism, hustle culture, comfort culture, the meaning gap. What in the world are are what are they like so far off, or are are do they have their finger on the pulse of the church that I have completely missed? I I'm not I I'm a little I'm like so what what are the two idols? Remember that's the title of the of the email. What are the two idols? Is the is the idols Modern stoicism? Is that one of the idols? I, I don't know. Let, let's see. The, the email, I see, I'm going to go back to the email. Do they ever actually identify the idols in the email? Let me see here. Um, let's see here. No. No, they, they don't ever actually... They don't ever actually identify it in the email. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I mean, they list all of those things and that hustle culture, Joe Rogan, Ryan Holiday, and modern stoicism. That's more than two. So I don't know what, what are the idols here? I don't know. I don't know. So let's go to the article. Let's go to the article. That's just fascinating to me. All right. Here we go. Uh, when Nietzsche famously declared God is dead. We often assume the atheist philosopher said it in a triumphant, 
a triumphant way that, you know, hey, hey, this, that he he's saying it almost in a celebratory way. Yet Nietzsche didn't really pronounce the death of God by which he meant the idea of God and religion. Okay, let me read this again. Yet Nietzsche didn't really pronounce the death of God by which he meant the idea of God and religion had died following the triumph of reason and science as a wholesale victory. In other words, he didn't necessarily say it in a triumphant way. He didn't see it as a wholesale victory. They go on. While on the one hand, it was a triumph as he understood it. On the other hand, Nietzsche saw the cost. Our entire European morality, Nietzsche prophesied, a dark time to follow, a process of crumbling and terror where there would be no reason to be moral. He predicted a post-God world would result not only in the loss of Christian morality, but also in a descent into meaninglessness and the breakdown of a unified sense of self, identity, and purpose. Okay, this this is getting interesting. Now, we got to be very careful here. We got to be very careful here. I do not know where the article is going. Remember, this is all happening in real time. This is not produced. This is not planned out. So I hope you love this approach. But I want to be very careful here. If you go back and listen to what we talked about on Sunday at Victory Baptist Church and our three messages on law and gospel, understanding law and gospel part 40, part 41, and part 42, you really need to go back and listen to those three hours of teaching. Right. Well, while one is around 30 something minutes, uh, about 35, 40 minutes, Sunday school got cut way short. Then on Sunday morning, we picked up the topic. We went an hour and 18 minutes. I know I went way long Sunday. That's because someone asked a very important question at the end. And then Sunday night was about an hour. So still it turns into close to three hours. And I made a very important point. And this is this is very, very important. If we get the order of law and gospel wrong, right? If we get the, the order wrong, then what happens? If we preach gospel before we preach the law, we turn the gospel into a solution for something it was never designed to fix. If you preach the gospel, right, before you preach the law, well, then the gospel you're preaching has to be a solution for something, and clearly it can't be a solution for your sin because you didn't preach the law. You have to preach the law first because that shows people their sin. Then you offer the gospel. The gospel is a solution to the fact that we have broken the law of God. We are condemned by it and we are sinners. The gospel is a message to save people from their sins. But so many times in the church, we take the, we may mention sins a little bit, but the gospel is more presented as a solution to everything other than sin, that the gospel is there to solve the problem of, I don't know, meaninglessness, that that it's uh, the gospel is there to solve the problem of not having a purpose or depression or discouragement or loneliness or sadness or, oh wait, or, or, or wait, it will give us a moral system. It'll give us morality, whatever. They, sometimes the gospel is presented as a solution for everything other than what it came to actually solve, which is the fact that we're sinners. This is a very important concept. So this article is scaring me a little bit, right? They're like, here's Nietzsche. 
Uh, Nietzsche says, hey, God is dead. He doesn't say it in a triumphant way. Even though he sees it as a victory in one hand, he realizes that once God is dead in society, in other words, and when he talks about the, the God being dead, he's talking about the idea of God in religion, that it is dead. And he says, now what's going to follow that? Nietzsche, in a sense, um, Nietzsche, Nietzsche, however you would like to pronounce it. He, he in a sense, prophesies, hey, that what's coming is going to be bad. It's going to be, it's not going to be good because once God, the idea of God is dead, once religion is gone, there's going to be unintended consequences that hits the world. And this is what he, he prophesied. Nietzsche prophesied a dark time is going to follow a process of crumbling and terror where there would be no reason to be moral. In other words, you could try to have morality, but you would have no reason for said morality and which we've watched this unfold perfectly within society. They establish, just think of this. You don't have a reason for morality. So therefore, in other words, if there's no ultimate reason for morality, you can have a morality, but it's a morality you create. And so we've seen the world now create a morality and say, this is right and this is wrong. And then they say, if you don't follow our morality, you're the sinner and you're condemned. They just replaced Christianity with a new morality. But remember, the gospel didn't come to give us morality. The gospel came to save us from our sins because we've already broken the established morality, which is God's law, right? So, but here we go. So Nietzsche predicted a post-God world would result not only in the loss of Christian morality, but also in a descent into meaningless and a breakdown of of a unified sense of self, identity, and purpose. Now, we can't present the gospel as a solution to meaningless and identity and purpose. It, the gospel came to save us from our sins. But let's see what they do here. In the post-Christian West, we're seeing Nietzsche's prediction play out. Something else must take the place of God if there's any hope of, of a, 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 a basically any kind of meaning. So in other words, if you remove God, something has to be put in its place by society. I agree that this happens. I agree. Just and I hope you understand what I'm saying. We, we sometimes take the gospel and try to act like it's going to solve all of these other issues when that's not what it was designed to do. It's to save us from our sins. Now, you could argue that once we are saved, in a sense, we understand the gospel and we believe and we're saved from our sins, that there may be other benefits that flow from it, but we just can't turn the gospel into a solution for what it wasn't designed to fix because so many times it leaves people, oh, no, this is what the gospel is supposed to fix, and it doesn't, quote, unquote, fix it the way we think. And so that, there's a whole discussion there, which is connected to what we talked about on Sunday, but just stay with me. It will all make sense. All right, so here we go. God's absence must be filled by some presence. And many candidates are vying to fill the void. In particular, we've noticed two maps of meaning that have grabbed the hearts of many. Comfort culture and hustle ideology. Comfort culture and hustle ideology. So are these the two emerging idols? Are the two emerging idols that's going to, that's going to face the church is hustle culture, and let me let me find the other one, um, and comfort culture, or comfort culture and hu- uh, hustle ideology. That's the way they put it. Comfort culture and hustle ideology. Comfort culture and hustle ideology. This I I, I we've got to we've got to explore this a little bit more. Is this is the church facing these two things? 
I don't know. All right, let, let's let's go. Let's go through this. Let's go through this. In one sense, they're opposites, and another, they're fraternal twins, different different features, same parents. That's interesting. They start with comfort culture. By comfort culture, we mean Netflix binging, online gaming, hours of Candy Crush. Is that still a thing? I thought Candy Crush is kind of dated, but all right. Scrolling Instagram reels, fantasy sports, self-indulgent Amazon sprees, foodie culture addiction, all comfy couch consolations to fill the meaning gap. Essentially, this is a consumerism and late modernity as a form of spiritual transcendence. Okay, that's a mouthful. So it's consumerism and late modernity as a form of spiritual transcendence. It's not that these activities are bad in and of themselves, but they can become a problem when they create a comfort culture that idolizes rest to the point of finding meaning and slothfulness. Consumption... Basically, um, it's the mindset of working merely to make play possible. In other words, that there's this idea that basically in the culture that's emerged in the culture, and they're saying that the church is facing this, where basically people just, all they care about is doing what they need to do so that they can play, that they can sit back and they can indulge in comfort culture. That work is just a means to comfort. Work is just a means to be able to get all of these things so we can sit around and do all of these things. Do you think that this is an issue in the church? Critics of comfort culture are right to point out that idolizing rest is poor stewardship for the time God gives us. Well, that's true. The opposite extreme is a hyperproductive lifestyle of optimizing the self can be just as erroneous and disappointing. In our experience with young people, especially at the beginning of their professional lives, or perhaps seeking to rebound from years wasted in comfort culture, hustle ideology can feel like a more fulfilling path to finding meaning. So they're saying that there are two things that have emerged. So this is the way they're mapping this out. Philosophically, culturally, from a philosophical point of view, looking at culture, we entered into a post-God culture, a post-Christian culture that Nietzsche prophesied. God is dead, religion is dead. What's going to happen is going to be, we're going to crumble into a state of not really having a reason for morality and almost a sense of meaninglessness. So we have to replace God with something. So we replace God with our own sense of morality, which we've seen, and a lot of people become moral crusaders. They become evangelists, social justice, or whatever they're fighting for, or or it can be uh, we replace God with politics, whether conservative or liberal. That's what I've always been talking about. That's what I've been warning the church about, that basically we've entered into a post-God culture, even within the church, and we've replaced God with politics, and that politics become the new morality, and politics become the new gospel, and politics becomes the new law, and politics becomes the new solution. That's what I've been warning about. What they're saying is something else. Set aside that issue. They point to two other issues. Comfort culture. That what some in the, in the culture has done have said, okay, there is no God. Then my life is going to be one of, how did they say it? It's going to become a life of consumerism. 
And late, so it's consumerism, but it basically becomes a form of spiritual transcendence. They find, and here, I'm going to state it this way. I think we've so entered into a post-God culture that the very question of the existence of God or the very question of the existence of transcendence, that the very question is dead. I believe young people today, I think there was a time that young people get away from their friends, get a little bit of privacy, maybe sitting in their room at night alone or hanging out with some friends alone, maybe even sitting around after a night of drinking and ever, and the party is over, the music has been turned down and everyone's quiet. Sooner or later, I felt, and I felt that this was true in my generation, the conversation would turn to things of spirituality and God and 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 heaven and hell and that those conversations. Now maybe that was only true here in the Bible Belt, um, or I guess some may say Texas is a part of the Bible Belt. Some may say it's not. But here in Texas, I just felt like it was always easy. And even when I was early on in my, in my military career, I can remember Desert Desert Storm. Right, um, I'm in the military. I get deployed for Desert Storm. And how many of us? I don't know how many of us. There was a number of us. We were sleeping on cots. Okay. We didn't even have sleeping bags. We didn't even have covers. We were using our field jackets as covers. Uh, we uh, had, um, it was a broken down dorm. It, it was it was just a, a, a crazy situation. But I can remember laying in there at night. And these people would not have act religious, didn't care about God. or But late at night, questions about God and eternity and heaven and hell and wrong and right. Those questions would emerge. But I believe we are so now into, and I'm not saying that never happens, but I think we have a younger generation now who doesn't even care about the question. They're not even concerned if there's a God. They're not even worried about, they don't even care to figure it out. They've just abandoned it. And what this article is claiming, what this is a new idol, instead of pursuing God, they have now turned to consumerism as a form of spiritual transcendence. So comfort culture has become an idol. Now is that and that comfort culture basically now is Netflix binging, online gaming, hours of Candy Crush, scrolling Instagram reels, fantasy sports, self-indulgent, Amer- uh, self-indulgent, um, uh, Amazon sprees, foodie culture, addiction, etc., 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 etc. And that any any effort is only there to get us to the comfort. I wonder if that is... I wonder, I wonder if that has infiltrated the church at a, at a high level. And so he says, so the article basically makes this idea that, so there's, there's comfort culture, and some people, though have decided, okay, this comfort culture is not for me. In other words, they don't find the transcendence. They don't find what they're looking for. So they throw out comfort culture and they embrace something separate. The second idol. So the first idol is comfort culture. And the second idol is what they refer to as hustle ideology. Now, if you doubt the prevalence of hustle and grind ideology in today's world, consider how many people listen to the Joe Rogan experience. The show has over 13,
13 million subscribers and billions of views. Billions with a B. Although Rogan covers an extremely wide range of topics, from martial arts to alternative medicine to alien spacecraft, there's a strong thread that runs through the show about working hard, challenge yourself, never giving up, grinding until you win. Rogan's massive influence, particularly among young men, speaks to the appeal of this increasingly popular map of meaning. So you either have comfort culture or you have the hustle and grind Joe Rogan. Now, once again, it's interesting that this is like, hey, these pastors are like, man, this is the stuff that's infiltrating our church. How does comfort culture show up in your church and how does the hustle ideology show up? And I'm, I, I am curious, what is the reach of Joe Rogan amongst Christian men? I, I, just, I just can't see too many Christian women listening to Joe Rogan. I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe that's a, a sexist way of thinking, but I just, I just, I don't, I don't see it. But I can see and, and it would be interesting to know what Christian men find interesting about. Now, Joe Rogan is a good communicator, and his his interview style is really cool. So I, I think I could see maybe why from a communication standpoint. But I wonder how many Christian men listen and are influenced by it. And that would be fascinating. Now, in the 90s, I started complaining and warning people that the church was being more influenced by Rush Limbaugh than it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because I kept seeing all the Christian men were always talking about what they heard on Rush Limbaugh. So at lunch, they were listening to Rush Limbaugh. They weren't listening to sermons. And I was like, so you've got time for Rush, but you don't have time for your the Bible during your lunch hour. Makes perfect sense. You don't have, so, but now, is it is it is it Joe Rogan? Is he the one influencing Christian? I don't know. This is what they go on to say. Um. Rogan says, by hustle and grind ideology, we don't simply mean hardworking lifestyles. Rather, it's the ideology of pursuing a future version of the self, tougher, harder, more successful, more complete through relentless self-improvement. The sort of attitude is expressed, for example, in a number of productivity books and perhaps most visceral and a most, uh, and I guess in a more direct way in the fitness world's idea of jujitsu studios and CrossFit boxes, all right? Jujitsu, if I can say the word correctly, and CrossFit boxes, all right? Maybe, all right? In other words, they're saying the hustle ideology shows itself through these books and through the the fitness world idea of, of, I would say, mixed martial arts, but jujitsu studios, okay, I understand, MMA studios and CrossFit boxes. Now, They go on to say, one example of hustle ideology is David Goggins, a former Navy SEAL. His book, Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds, is a bestseller. Goggins offers inspirational quotes ranging from things such as, I don't stop when I'm tired. I stop when I'm done. It's so easy to be great nowadays because everyone else is weak. All right, the mindset invokes kind of the idea of the ascension to deity concept. Be great and then be God. And there's a sense that if the greatest end is the greatest version of you, then the greatest version of you, whatever that is, is divine. It's idolatry of the optimized self. Now, I don't, 
Is that concept in the church? So is it comfy culture or is it hustle ideology that leads to the optimized self almost like that's the goal? Wow, I, I don't I don't think I ever would have pursued this line of reasoning of things infiltrating the church. I may have be way off base here. But this is interesting. It says statements such as those above have, be, have become more culturally accepted through the addition of modernized sto- stoicism. The ancient philosophy understood by modern thinkers like Ryan Holiday and Donald Robertson combines the credibility of the Greco-Roman worldview with the modern hustle mentality as a way to bridge the meaning gap. Stoicism provides a secular framework for processing experiences such as grief, pain, tragedy, failure, and even death in the absence of God. So they mix stoicism in here. That's interesting. So we got comfy culture. We got hustle ideology. And it seems stoicism is mixed a little bit. I guess they're kind of connecting it to the hustle ideology. But stoicism is here. And stoicism seems to be like, okay, look, you're going to deal with pain, suffering, death, and loss in life. Here's how you handle it. And you don't need God. But could stoicism as an ideology, infiltrate the church? I don't know. Here, here's what they now offer as a Christian critique, all right? How long? Okay, yeah, we're almost done. We're almost done. This is fascinating. fascinating. So the two idols that we set out to identify, according to this, and, and I, I'm going to argue, I'm going to argue three idols. Comfort culture, Hustle ideology and modern stoicism. Now, that stoicism may fit in with these others, but I'm going to separate the three. Comfort culture, hustle ideology, and modern stoicism. I'm going to separate the three. Now, have they infiltrated the church? I don't know. Are these the things? Now, they may be saying the church is facing these things, meaning the church has to operate in a world that's going to be dominated by these three philosophies. Maybe that's more the way they're focusing on it. But I just know this, whatever the church faces, <laughs> this is just true throughout church history. Whenever the church is placed in a, a an environment where they're facing certain philosophies, ideologies, and morality, it's only a matter of time before that finds itself, those things the church is facing becomes more influential to the church than the church is to the culture. We see this in, in I, how did I describe 1 Corinthians for what, four or five years that we went verse by verse through that book? First, I said it almost every Sunday. 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church. That church is located in a city. The city was influencing the church more than the church was influencing the city. I said that like week after week. Well, that's where the church always finds itself. But these are three idols that have emerged within culture that the church is facing. But I would argue we have to be on the lookout how they have infiltrated comfort culture, hustle ideology, and modern stoicism. Here is their critique. Hustle culture idolizes work. Um, 
but comfort ideal. I okay, I'm gonna read this again. Hustle culture idolizes work and gain, but comfort idolatry and work idolatry are both consolation prizes in a world seeking meaning apart from God. Christians must be aware of how these temptations might be gripping their hearts. So, so basically we have the idolatry of hus, hustle, right? And the idolatry of comfort. I, is this, I don't think this is new. I don't really think this is new. Sin in its very essence, it's always about the exaltation of the eye, of the self. Remember, that's how I always define sin. Sin is the exaltation of the eye, right? Of, of the individual, of the self. And self always pursues comfort and personal gain, power, fame, recognition, money, and, and apart from God. I, I, I don't think this is new. I don't think these idols are new. I, no, I, I, I'm rejecting this. I don't think that these are new things. I think, I, I, and I would challenge you to do this. Think from Genesis and go to Revelation. Do you not see throughout the Bible, you see individuals who pursue comfort, pleasure, right? They, they pursue pleasure and, and, and comfort. And why? Because, well, so they want to please self. They want to satisfy self. And they seek that pleasure. They seek that satisfaction apart from God. That's always been the case, right? Oh, I want that. That looks good. That feels good. That will give me pleasure. That will give me satisfaction. And so we pursue it apart from God. Even Christians, this is, Christians are just the same sinful nature is inside of us. We do the same thing. And then on the other side, at the same time, you may have those who are pursuing comfort, pleasure, right? Out, apart from God, you have those who pursue hard work and gain and, and, and position and power and prestige and material wealth. And, and they will apart from God. Now, here's what happens to Christian. And I think this is important. What Christians do is we take these concepts of comfort culture and hustle ideology. That's the terms they're using. And we try to spiritualize them, Christianize them so that we can almost use God as a justification for pursuing these things and getting these things. I, I, I just, I don't. I, I don't know that. So they say hustle culture idolizes work and gains. Um, but, but comfort uh, idolatry and work idolatry are both consolation prizes and a world seeking meaning apart from God. Christians must be aware of how these u, u, uh, ubiquitous temptations might be gripping their hearts. We recognize God's good gifts in things like quality films and gaming, working hard and working out. And yet our daily patterns, if Christ hasn't conquered our schedule, or naturally drift towards the norms of the subculture near us. For some, what's easy, chasing comfort, and for others, what's hard, optimizing the ideal self, 
Binge streaming and binge lifting might seem like opposites, but they're both examples of how good gifts can become idols. False religions are hard to pinpoint when they're wrapped up in the same and some of the most obvious common grace gifts of God. That's why Christians must be especially sensitive to the hold these idols can have on their hearts and those of their brothers and sisters in the faith. Enjoy the common graces of God, but don't idolize the entertained self or the optimized self, both gods, end in meaninglessness. In theory, Christians know Nietzsche was wrong to pronounce God is dead. And yet, when we live as though our comfort or self-optimization are the ultimate sources of meaning, we inadvertently prove Nietzsche's point. Even if our secular neighbors seek to fill the meaning void in these unsatisfying places, Christians should double down on committing themselves to the truly satisfying source of meaning, scripture, church, community, worship, prayer, and an outward focus posture of loving God and neighbor, the rhythms of the Christian life. When the false promises of consumer comfort leave our neighbors wanting and hustle culture leave them weary, we should be ready to welcome them in. Let's embrace the pilgrims of, of a Nietzschean world, pointing them to the one who offers freeing truth, life burden, lifted burdens, and life everlasting. So in a roundabout way, they, they return to the two idols. They, 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 they hint at three. They kind of merge one of I'm still going to keep it as, as three distinct idols that they say are facing the modern church. Comfort culture, hustle ideology, and modern stoicism. What do you think? If you hear that, that's me. I've got a pencil in my hand and I'm twirling the pencil. Because when I start thinking, I immediately pick up a pencil. I'm a I'm I'm fascinated by this line of reasoning. This is where I need a group of people to talk it through. I need a group of people to work through all of this. What what do you think about all of this? I'm not convinced that this is some new thing. I'm not convinced that this is some product of a Nietzschean world where God has that God, that we live in a post-God world, all of this co- uh, collapsed, and now we're seeking meaning. And I think we're, I think our sinful nature has always pursued comfort and hustle, or comfort and working to gain, to get position, power, prestige. And I think Christians have always been tempted to justify both by using God as an excuse. I'll give you an example, comfort culture, right? I'll just give you an example. Now, I know I'm going to offend people, but I just, I've watched this happen too many times in the church and it, it, it always just blows my mind that Christians don't see how utterly foolish they look. If your church on a Friday, on a Sunday night wants to get together and have an ice cream social, a potluck, pizza, eat pizza, hot dogs, burgers. I don't care what you're doing. And you want to get together and you just want to hang out, talk about the weather, talk about football, talk about your work, whatever people get together and talk about while you're shoving large amounts of food down your throat. 
I got no problem with that. Here's what I got a problem. When you try to say that what you're doing is fellowship and you try to act like it's something spiritual. And if you don't show up to the fellowship, there's something wrong with your Christian life. You're the problem because good Christians would want to skip church on Sunday to get together to talk about the weather while we're shoving food down our throats. Now, it to me, if you want to do that, fine. But you know what you say? Hey, you know what? We don't want to listen to a sermon tonight. You know what? We don't want to go to church tonight. We're going to get together and have a potluck and we're going to call, but don't call it fellowship. Call it a get together where we shove large amounts of food down our throat and get and have fun. Just just call it that. But see, we have to spiritualize it. We have to spiritualize it. Because if we spiritualize it, then we feel justified, right? We feel justified. And then we can, we can try, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work out, I'm gonna get my body in shape, and we'll say, because the body, it's the temple, it's the temple of God, and I should preserve it and be a good steward of it. All right, yeah. You, you could say that, but in many cases, you're doing it because you want to look good. Because you want to, it's more about you. See, we can always take God and justify hustle ideology. Oh, I got to get that job. See, because if I get that job, I'll better uh, support my family. And I, and it's my job as a Christian man to do that. Or you just want the power, you want the money because you got things you want to do with the money. So just admit the real motivation. Sometimes we can't be honest about the real motivation. But I think if you go from Genesis to Revelation, there's always a comfort culture and there's always a hustle ideology. I think those two idols are literally built into the heart of man. We want pleasure and we want success. We want, we want power. We want money. We want, we want those things. I, I don't think that this is some new thing. I think this is the essence of who we are as human beings. And stoicism, I don't know where the stoicism fits in so well. I, I definitely don't know where that influence is on the church. But let's throw those three out there. What do you think? Comfort culture, hustle ideology, and stoicism, modern stoicism. Do you think these influences are really influencing the church? Joe Rogan. Who was the other individual? Joe Rogan. Uh, let's see here. Got to go through all the individuals that they mentioned. Uh, see, uh, Joe. Oh, I got to go back to the email. Got to go back to the email. They mentioned them all in the email. Let's see here. Um, okay. Um, hustle culture. Okay, we, we'll, we'll just name the individuals. Joe Rogan and Ryan Holiday. And, and oh, they mentioned someone else. They mentioned someone else. So Joe Rogan, Ryan Holiday, and they mentioned the Navy SEAL. Where is the Navy SEAL? Um, David Goggins. David Goggins, Ryan Holiday, and Joe Rogan. Do you think that they're having that much of an influence on Christian men? Where do you think the church is headed? What do you think the idols the church is facing? And what's your thoughts on these three? Comfort culture, hustle ideology, and modern day stoicism. When I saw the stoicism, I really had to stop. I, and you can still tell, I'm still struggling. Do I include it or not? Because when I read it, I was like, modern stoicism. And then they have the Ryan Holiday and he's a modern stoic. And I'm like, okay. So I like I had to literally look up stoicism to make sure I was understanding it correctly. 
I was like, what? what? So is, is that the, like the philosophy I learned in philosophy? I had to, I had to just look it up to verify like, what, wait, where is this going? And there it is, stoicism. And I'm like, no, that, I don't know about that. But there you go. So 59 minutes and 40 seconds. I set out unsure of what I was going to do and if I should do it. I've reached the end. And once again, I don't feel like I necessarily hit a home run. Don't even know if I hit a double. Don't even know if I hit a single. Yeah, baseball, baseball terminology. But I do know I was standing at the plate taking swings. So hopefully I've produced something here of value tonight. I should have given you plenty to discuss and talk about. Now you, if we're going to complete the circle, you got to do your part. So talk to me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Or if you're in the Discord channel, come on, let me know what you think. All right, we'll stop. I, I, I wish I had some dramatic conclusion for you, but that's where the article stops. That's where I will leave it. Now it's up to you to talk about it if you so do, do so, or maybe you're not interested in this and I understand. All right, thank you for listening. Everyone have a wonderful night. Maybe we'll do a late night episode. I don't know if we're going to do a late night episode um, because I haven't slept in forever. So I may, may try to get some sleep today. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what I'll do? But if I feel right now I'm hyped up on five-hour energy. That's the, So right now I'm all, yeah, ready to go. I'm ready to do, but I'm going to take a break. And if I feel like it, I'll come back and we'll do something else tonight. Sounds good. All right. Everyone have a wonderful evening. God bless.